The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. It is only by grace that we can see. By grace we have been saved. I want to introduce you today to grace. I want to do that with a marvelous story. The Jewish people were arguing with Jesus. He was saying to them in John, the sixth chapter and the seventh chapter, who he was. He writes, John writes in chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The temple guards were listening, 
they were told to go arrest Jesus. But instead, they left without arresting him. And they went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They said, why didn't you bring him in? They answered, no one ever spoke the way this man does. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? Well, this is the argument. They're, they're arguing back and forth about who Jesus is and where he came from. They're arguing that, that no prophet was ever supposed to come out of Galilee. He was supposed to come out of, out of Bethlehem. Well, they didn't know what they were talking about. Often it's misinformation that causes total confusion in the body of Christ today as well. But there's a very telling statement to conclude this section. It says, Then each went to his own house or his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus had no place to lay his head. No one invited him home. They argued with him. They, they condemned him. And he went to the Mount of Olives to pray and to rest. Now at dawn, we're told in the 8th chapter of John that Jesus again went to the temple courts and as soon as he came into the temple courts, the people began to run toward him. They gathered around him, and so he sat down, meaning, I have something important to tell you. And he began to teach them. Now as he's teaching them, the session is interrupted. It's interrupted by the teachers of the law and the very Pharisees who had been arguing with him the night before. They brought in a woman caught in adultery. I'm sure she was disheveled and terrified. They had probably pulled her from the warm bed of her adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses condemned and commanded that she be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? Well, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they correctly understood the law. The law commanded that she be put to death. Moses was very clear about that. So here we have the law coming to punish, to kill. Remember, this week I've spoken to you about the law and Moses always coming to kill because we're sinners. And before the law, we are condemned to die. Yesterday I shared with you the Apostle Paul who was a legal expert, confessing that in his inner heart he knew he was in sin and he knew he was condemned and he didn't know what to do about it. He knew that if others knew what was inside of him, they would utterly reject him. And so to play the game, they saw him as righteous in accord with the law. And in terms of outward behavior, Paul was perfectly in accord with the law. But the law had come to condemn this woman to death. And they were justified in their position. 
The law comes to all sinners and demands the death of that person. Remember, I read on Monday the story of of Bunyan as he writes about faithful and how he was inclined to turn and sin in his heart and how Moses had come after him and beaten him almost to death. And Jesus in the story comes by and he sees the nail prints in his hands and he commands Moses to stop beating this man. Well, Jesus opens for us something that is incredibly exciting here. Yes, it's a, it's a wonderful story, but it's not a sentimental story. It's not just a feel-good story. There's a much deeper truth that is being revealed because here we have the story of the law coming to kill, to execute righteous judgment on an adulterous woman. And the command of the law was, execute her. And we have that law meeting grace. And grace said, Does no man condemn you? No one, sir. The law had been turned away. Because now a righteousness from God is being revealed that is not from the law. Let me read it for you. I'll turn quickly. Over here in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God, that is the dunamis, the dynamite of God, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Do you understand? The law demands righteousness and demands the death of this woman, and they are justified in their demand. They stand on the law of Moses that condemns all sin. Now, the sin of the Old Testament was put off in terms of punishment because an animal's blood was shed. And we find in the Old Testament that the shed blood of a lamb or a bull or a goat would cover over that person's sin and delay their punishment until the coming of Messiah. And when he died on the cross, retroactively, Abraham, Moses, Daniel, Jacob, all of them were forgiven for their sins that had been covered by the blood of an animal, but no longer is it covered at the cross. It's removed. Not covered, removed. The word for forgive in the New Testament is aphemy, which means to remove. So the sin is now removed, not punished. So Jesus, facing the law of Moses, knows that they're trying to trap him. If he condemns this woman according to the law, and they stone her, he will be guilty before the Roman authorities for executing a woman. If he lets her go, he will be declared to be against the law of Moses and turn the people against him. But he's not going to let her go, and he's not going to have her executed, because Jesus brought a righteousness that was not from the law. He brought a righteousness that did not originate in the law. The righteousness that Jesus is bringing originates in the Lamb of God being sacrificed on Calvary. Now, 
I want you to catch this. This is a historic revelation that if you grasp it, it will change your life. For all of us have sinned and fallen short. All of us have sinned against God. None of us have walked without sin. All of us are condemned by the law and should be executed by the law. When Jesus came, he did not come to let us off from the law. He did not come to denigrate the law or put it down or declare it unworthy. No, the scriptures say he came to establish the law. But he didn't put us under the law. You remember, I read this passage to you yesterday, but please let me come back and read it again so that you'll understand what I'm saying to you. This is chapter 7 of the book of Romans. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law. He's speaking to men who understand what the law is and the ramifications of sinning against the law. He knows and they know that the law demands death for sin. That the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband for as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulterer. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. In other words, we deserve to die. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Did you catch that? Jesus did not come to release us from the law that we could walk in our sin and still be saved. That's not what Jesus did. Now I know many will tell you today that we are all sinners saved by grace. That's not true. Jesus is grace. And in grace there is revealed a salvation, a righteousness that is not from the law. It's coming instead from Jesus. Righteousness coming from the law condemns us to death. Righteousness coming from Jesus again demands death to self. And a birthing from above as a new creature in Jesus Christ. Now follow me in this story, and you'll see what I'm saying to you, and then there are a couple of other scriptures that I'd like to take you to today that are so exciting and so powerful. Jesus did not speak. Instead, he bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. There was heavy dust, heavy dirt, and he began to write things in the dirt. I think I know what he was writing. They kept questioning him. They kept pushing him. Tell us, Jesus, do we execute this woman? 
he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You want to stone her to death? Okay. If you're not walking in sin, go ahead and throw the stone and execute her in the name of the law. I believe that what Jesus was writing on the ground, starting from the oldest to the youngest, I believe he was writing down their sin and exposing it to the light of day. Jesus was uncovering their wickedness. And as he uncovered their wickedness, he said, if you are without sin, if this is not your sin, I don't know if he wrote the sin and then put the name beside it. That was likely what happened. No one threw a stone. He stooped down and he again began to write on the ground and I'm sure they pushed in very close to read what he was writing on the ground. And he had the Pharisees dead to right. He knew the sin of every man in that crowd. And he knew that all of them were condemned to death by the law. He knew there was not one of them that was righteous. He knew the secret uncovering of their life would cause them shame. What would happen today if every secret part of your heart was exposed? What if you went to church and the pastor put up a big white board and he wrote down your name. And beside your name, he wrote down your sin. Would it be Bob? Fornication? Would it be Jacob? Pornography? Would it be Harry? cheating, a thief? Would it be Paul, filled with pride, abusing his wife? What sin would Jesus write down beside your name? All sin brings us subject to death. Now, please, I want you to watch. I'm going to demonstrate this for you, and it may be very much against what you have believed. But I want you to see this. Please don't turn away in anger or bitterness. I'm not accusing you. I want you to see the truth today. Grace never covers sin. Grace never covers sin. In fact, let's turn right now over here in the book of Titus is a very interesting passage of scripture. This is Titus, the first chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to get a very clear definition of the work that grace does, or, if you please, what Jesus does by his Spirit. The second chapter, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation, Jesus is the one who brings salvation, 
Not greasy grace, not cheap grace. Jesus is not greasy and he's not cheap. He's real. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Jesus is the one who appeared to all men. So Jesus is being spoken of here as grace. Paul, writing to Titus, says, Jesus is grace. If you don't get that, you'll miss out on the greatest truth in Scripture. Jesus is grace. Now listen. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anybody despise you. Jesus is grace. That's what the scripture says. And he came to turn us to redeem us from all wickedness. If you're still walking in wickedness, you're walking in darkness. And you are guilty before the law. You see, there's no, there's no escaping being made righteous. You're either righteous in the Old Testament because sin has been passed over and covered by the blood of an animal. You are declared righteous in the Old Testament. And when Jesus died on Calvary, that blood retroactively wiped away all their sin. The Old Testament demanded death for sin. The New Covenant likewise demands death for sin for all sin but now a righteousness is coming from another source it's not coming from the law it is coming from grace from jesus and there is death under jesus for all who sin who refuse his sacrifice and refuse to die and be born from above. Both the Old and the New Covenant demand blood for sin. Jesus shed his blood so you don't shed your blood. Now, walk with me through the, the, the rest of this story and you're going to see very clearly what I'm talking about. At this, those who heard, that is, those who heard him say that if you're without sin, you throw the first stone at her. They heard him say this. They saw the listing of the sins, and they saw which one they identified with, and they were utterly ashamed, because now they had to face the fact that they too deserve death that they too should be stoned to death. The older ones first began to go away, one at a time, until finally, only Jesus was left with the woman. She was still standing there, trembling in fear before him. Jesus straightened up from where he'd been writing all of the sins on the ground. And he asked the woman, Woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? Genesis 3.15 tells us that there is a, a small space between the bite 
of the serpent and the grace of God. It is the first promise of a Savior coming. This woman is now in that small space of grace where she is a sinner before the righteous God. But she's not going to be saved by the law. The law has already condemned her to die. Her only hope is that righteousness can flow from this man, Jesus, that she could live. He says to her, Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus is now making her clean. They have brought this woman who is caught in the act of adultery before the judge of the universe. And his law says she should die. But the Lord of the universe is himself coming and using that small opening that he made in Genesis 3.15. He is now opening that small door of salvation for her. It is called the narrow path. It is called in Scripture the narrow gate. Jesus is opening that narrow gate to her. And he's saying, I don't condemn you. But now he is going to tell her what she must do to enter that narrow gate. He says to her, Go now and leave your life of sin. He does not say to her, Go now and try your best not to get back in bed with this man. That's not what he tells her. He doesn't tell her to go try to create her own righteousness. He does not tell her to go now and do her best. He does not tell her, I'm not condemning you. Just do the best you can do from now on. No. There's a new source of righteousness, and it's not a covering over sin. This grace is a leaving of sin and wickedness. It is leaving the way of darkness and going into the light. This woman has been exposed in the light. The law says, stone her. Jesus says, go and leave your life of sin. Now, other translations will say, Go and sin no more. The NIV is actually, I believe, more accurate. This woman was not just a one-time sinner. This woman had a whole lifestyle of, of arrogant sin before a holy and righteous God. She deserved death by the law. Jesus is saying to her, don't just leave this one sin. Leave your whole lifestyle of sin. Leave it all behind. Now, she's not going to understand all this yet, but she knows one thing. Something amazing has happened in her soul. She suddenly recognizes that there is a place of divine love and mercy and grace. And she is now going to be taught how to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a couple of passages I want to take you to that will help us understand this truth. Let's go first to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to begin reading for you in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. For this woman caught in adultery, the old has gone. She almost died under the curse of the law. She's now been redeemed by the Messiah, and there's a new source of righteousness flowing into her heart. This is what Mary of Magdala experienced as Jesus cast out demon after demon from her life. A new Spirit of God began to enter into her. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That does not mean that you should continue walking in those sins, because if you continue walking in them, you will be cursed by the law, and you will be executed by the law. Right now, Jesus has given you a small opening to be born from above and to leave your life of sin. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel I come preaching. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors through God. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin. That's an incorrect translation. The translation should be, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. He did not become our sin. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. That word, become, in the Greek, geomani, it's the same word that we get the word generator from. That we might be generated by divine power to the righteousness of God. This is not of human flesh. This is of God. Now I have to hurry. I, I have another scripture I want to share with you. I have several more I want to share with you, but we'll see if I can get to them. Galatians, the sixth chapter. Well, first, let's go to 5, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If you gratify, if you gratify the desires of the sinful nature... You are not covered by grace. You are now back under the law, and the law intends to kill you. You cannot be saved and continue to walk in your sin. Jesus said, leave your lifestyle of sin. Now, I'm going to read in the sixth chapter. To understand... When Jesus said to this woman, leave your lifestyle of sin, he was saying, righteousness is going to flow from me into you. You are going to belong to me. And your sinful nature now must be totally crucified with its passions and desires. You're a new person. Now, brothers, chapter 6, verse 1, if someone is caught in sin, 
That is, if a Christian, a follower of Christ, is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Now, verse 6. I'll bet you've never heard verse 6 preached. I'm going to preach it to you very quickly and then move on. Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. That's chapter 6, verse 6. Right in the midst in the midst of what I'm sharing with you, he's saying, look, if you're learning from this pastor, then you are instructed by Scripture to share all good things with him. I need you to do that right now, whether it's silver, gold, jewelry, cash, checks. This broadcast needs to continue, and I can't continue without your support. That's what it's saying. Now, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Why? Because the law will execute him. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's the gospel of Jesus. We're not to walk any longer in the darkness. We're called out of the darkness. First John, third chapter. You've heard this before, but, but listen. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Verse 4. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That's plain English, isn't it? If you live in Jesus, he fills you with a new righteousness. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Did you know that? Jesus came to destroy the devil's work in your life. He did not come to cover over your sin. He came to destroy the work of the devil, which is sin, in your life. He came to make you holy. He came to make you righteous. There is a righteousness that flows from the law, and when we don't measure up, it executes us. There is a righteousness that flows from Jesus. And to enter that righteousness, we have to be crucified with Christ. We have to die to our will. We have to ground our weapons against him. And as the temptations come from the devil, we turn to Jesus with earnest seeking and tears and ask that his righteousness flow into us in all of its glorious cleanness. The mercy of God makes us righteous. The word to justify has both a legal meaning and an ethical meaning. What do I mean? When Jesus died on Calvary, he made an atonement that wipes away your sin if you come to him. You know you're condemned to die because of your sin. You come to him. He forgives all of your past sins, but he doesn't just forgive your sins. He then makes you righteous. 
That's the glorious gospel of Jesus. Now, please, if you tell me that you are still a sinner, you're telling me bad news. Because if you're still a sinner, you're not under grace, you're under law. And you'll die. Sin can only be removed by the righteousness of Jesus, and He is willing to give you that righteousness by faith. You believe Him that He will make you righteous, that He will destroy every sin in your life, that He will clean you up and wash you, He will break every addiction, He will remove the anger from your heart, He will cleanse you and make you whole. The gospel of Jesus is good news because it doesn't leave us like it found us. It transforms us into the likeness of our Savior. It restores us. It makes us whole. It makes us rejoice. It makes us dance in glee because we've been washed by the blood. We've been made well. We've been made whole. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. If you're continuing in sin, you may be very religious. But you've not been born from above yet. And I ask you, please, if you're still walking in sin, would you go to Jesus and confess your sin like this woman? And he will not condemn you. As you confess your sin and as you repent of your sin before Jesus, He will make you righteous. God's seed remains in Him, that is, the man who is righteous. That seed must be planted in you by a divine act of God. It is not of human strength, it is not of human ability, it is not by trying hard. It's by receiving the grace of Jesus. It says he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. You can be very religious and be a child of the devil. That's what he's saying. You must be born from above. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You see, this whole deal is about love. It is about the love of Jesus Christ coming in and washing and cleansing and totally transforming us and making us into new creatures. I love the story. I love the story of this woman. I love this story. Because... The law and grace meet face to face. And grace wins. The woman leaves her lifestyle of sin. She's transformed. She's made into a new creature. She's redeemed. If she goes back to her sinful nature, she will once again come under the law. And she may tell the story about following Jesus for a short time, and she may talk about the kindness that Jesus showed her in not having her executed. That's just religion. That's not Jesus. Do you understand? This woman was a sinner, condemned to die. 
And Jesus saved her from that lifestyle of sin. And so when when law and grace meet, there is a cross between them. That cross is where Jesus died and shed his blood. And he made arrangements that every one of us could have access to that blood. He finished providing for us redemption at the cross. And now each of us can be faced by death with the law or salvation by grace, by Jesus. But we must no longer walk in the darkness because if we walk in the darkness, we're walking in the devil's territory and the law will execute us. I pray today has been good news for you. I pray that you understand what I've said to you. And that you know that Christ Jesus has set you free. That you no longer need to walk in the sinful nature of sexual impurity, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But instead now, you begin to bear by the Holy Spirit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are not things you have to discipline yourself into. This is the fruit, not fruits. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit because you now belong to Christ Jesus and you've crucified the sinful nature. You went to Calvary with him. And now you live by the Spirit. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. The Scriptures instruct you to share all good things with your teacher. I need to hear from some of you today. Would you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com? I'm missing many of you who have not given. You may not be working. You give what Jesus tells you, but many of you are working. Would you give hilariously? Because you have received teaching from the Word by this pastor. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can give online. Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. O Lord, I ask you to bless your people today with understanding that as they come before the law, they are condemned, but as they come before you, you provide them with a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for listening today and for giving. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. you blameless Before the presence of His glory With great joy Christ of